Hi, and welcome to Northampton Bible Church's podcast. We are glad that you're here today. If you'd like to learn more about Northampton Bible Church, you can check us out at nbchurchcf.org. You can also interact with us on social media at nbchurchcf. And now, here's today's message. So if you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about worship today. And worship is a big deal. In fact, uh, we're all worshipers. And if you have a study guide, which I encourage you to have, uh, this is part of your study guide. These are fill-ins if you're a fill-in kind of person. Some people are not fill-in kind of people, and that's okay. I'm a fill-in kind of person, and I think I track better as we're writing things down. Uh, But the fact is, the truth about worship is not if we will worship, but what or who we will worship. What or who are some things that we worship? I'm going to ask you this. What do we worship? Money. Money. Jesus. Social media. media. Ourselves. Now you're you're gone to meddling in people's lives right there. You know that, right? (laughs) No church answers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, God, Bible. Jobs, careers, children, children. sports. Is that it? Stuff. What about more like non-tangible things like security or comfort? Power. Like power or power? Power. <laughs> Pride? Is that what you said? Yeah. Hobbies? People? Idols? People become idols? Political parties? Sorry. Our country? Ourselves is a big one. We've said it more than once, but it's the truth is that, you know, Romans 12 talks about our, us, that we should be living sacrifices, that we should be living dead things. But the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling back off the altar. <laughs> that God takes us to this place of worship, takes us to this place of dependence, takes us to this place of, God, we need you. And then once our needs are met, we kind of say, I, I got it from here. <laughs> Until I need you again. The fact is that we all worship something, and maybe some somethings, maybe some someones. Because the reality that you need to understand today is this, that we are wired for worship. I'm not telling you anything new. This is something that you already know. That God created us and created us to be in a relationship with Him. Created us for Him to love him and him to love us. But sin has distorted this view of who God is and really what our call is in our lives. And what we end up doing is we end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And the creation includes all the stuff we mentioned, including ourselves. And we end up with messed up priorities We end up with messed up worship. We end up with messed up families. We end up with messed up lives. 
I want to do this exercise with you. If you have been around for a few years, you might know where this is going. But the rest of you don't know where this is going. So this is, this is an, hopefully an eye-opening experience. If you have your study guide, I do. Uh, if you have your study guide, there's a, a line there. If you don't, if you have a piece of paper, if you have your phone, or if you, whatever it is, on that what's most important, I just want you to take a moment. And I've heard this response like, oh, there's more than three things. I want you to narrow down in your life the three most important things. If I want to be mean, I'll look at the mothers who have more than three kids, and I'll be like, <laughs> and then your kid look over your shoulder and like, really? <laughs> so this, is, oh, this exercise works if you take it, for, take it serious for a minute. Uh, I will let you off the hook and say you can think about them, but I really want you to write them down because there's something uh, really tangible about writing these things down. And even if you're uh, watching online, that you would uh, write these things down. What's the three most important things in your life? And I'm going to give you a, a 60 seconds by my time. I mean, it might be 30 or 45 or three most important things. I, I might say that you can kind of group like my kids or... Three most important things. It should, it should cause you to think for a minute. Hopefully none of you remember this activity, because then you're going to be like, this is not fun anymore. In a good way. In a good way. Three most important things. Everybody got three most important things? Is it easy? No brainer? No brainer. If people saw your list, would they be offended? <laughs> oh, I'm not on that list, huh? Hmm, nice. 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 All right. Uh, so hopefully you have your list. Tragedy has just struck. You have to give up one of the things that's on your list. You have to cross it off. <laughs> She's like, there goes Pinterest. <laughs> so now you're down to two. Was that easy? No. Somewhat. Actually, I'm kind of happy I did that one. So now you're down to two. Now tragedy has struck again. <laughs> you need to cross off one more. Now I want you to circle that last thing that's not crossed off. And if you're honest, if you're not just doing the church answers, but you're doing really what you really, in that moment, believe, you have discovered, at least in this moment, what's most important to you. Are you satisfied with your answer? <laughs> As Christ followers, those that have been saved by Jesus, those we have a relationship with God through Jesus, our hope is, my hope is, that, that God is the last one on your list that you've left there. But I also would say that we want you to be real, and it's okay that it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about God. Because that's being real. And I want you to be real. I want us to struggle through these things. I want us to work through these things. And hopefully what you have left is, if you were being honest, you're like, yeah, that's what I had left. I wish I would have written this, but this is really what I have left, and, and that's okay. We're going to be in John chapter 4. Keep that list just in front of you, in front of your mind at least. We're going to be in John chapter 4. 
And as I've said before, you, you could read through these passages. And so if, if I said, hey, somebody up, come up here and talk about John chapter 4, we probably have people that could retell the story and, and give you kind of the, like the main focus points of how we normally talk about it. Uh, last week, if you were here, we talked about Jesus and his focus on living water and what that means and what that looks like. Uh, because I think often what we do is we, we focus on the, the obvious things and we say, well, look, here's the, the softball things we can focus on. And we kind of just knock them out of the park. But what does this living water really mean? And we talked about that last week. And, and this week, you know, the point of the story is often we look at this unnamed woman and, and how Jesus changed her life. And she goes back and she tells the town and, you know, could this really be the Messiah? And they come and their lives are changed. And that's kind of the focus of the story. And we kind of gloss over at times that Jesus says that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And we see that and we're like, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> well, let's keep going. Let's get to the point. But maybe the point to this morning is that we would understand what true worship really means, what it really looks like in the lives of, of Christ followers. And so if you're looking at John chapter four, to bring us up to speed, as I said, you've got Jesus who says he had to travel through Samaria. He goes to this well. He sees this unnamed woman. She comes to the well, and she comes to the well around 12 o'clock in the, like noon, not a time, a prime time you would think that someone would come to the well unless you're an outcast, unless something's going on. And he says to her, he speaks to her, which is unheard of, speaks to her, and she says, give me a drink. And she's like, how in the world? Like, whoa. You're a Jew, you're a guy, you're a re- like, why would you even talk to me? And Jesus says, if you knew who was speaking to you, and you knew the gift of God that was speaking to you, you would ask me, and I will give you living water. And she's like, all oh, right, you know, living water, because we said living water is moving water. So this idea that going back to the well, the well's kind of like, eh, it's not great water, but if I could get this, this living water, this water that is free-flowing and pure and, and rich, sure, give me this. And Jesus says, um, no, no, the, the stuff that I'm talking about is, is spiritual. He doesn't say it outright. That's the conversation he's having. And she's thinking, I would love to have water so that I don't have to keep coming back here. I would love to have this thing. And, and he's talking spiritual. She's thinking physical. And you get down to verse 15. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back here to draw water. And she's not understanding uh, that Jesus is not saying, I'm going to give you physical water. He's saying, I'm going to give you, I can give you spiritual water that your life can be changed, that the spirit of God can indwell your life and transform your life uh, to the point that you will never be thirsty again, that you will be satisfied in God. We talked a lot about dissatisfaction last week and not being satisfied in our lives and how Jesus alone can satisfy who we are. And Jesus is aware that she's not getting it. You, you see this. We looked at Nicodemus, and Jesus is obviously aware that Nicodemus is, is understanding from a physical standpoint, how can I be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb and, and come back out? Like, it doesn't make sense. And, and Jesus tries to explain it in the same, in the verse 15, it's very apparent that this woman doesn't understand. And so Jesus does, he takes another step with her, and he begins to point out her need. That her need wasn't just to get water so she doesn't have to keep coming back to this well and physical water. Her need was her sin, her spiritual need, her sin to be taken care of. Look at verse 16. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. 
And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. (laughs) And what Jesus is doing is he's really showing her that I know who you are. This is not some random, hey, hey, funny seeing you here. Very coincidental. I know you. In fact, I I intimately know you. I know the details of your life. That Jesus knew this outcast. Jesus knew this sinner. And he loved her anyway. And he loved her and he wanted her to understand the spiritual truth of what he's trying to say about the Father and and about the relationship with him and about what he can bring. And and the conversation begins to shift. We talked about uh, Jesus goes from, from talking to meddling in her life. And she does what we tend to do when somebody begins to confront us with our sin. Or if you're a Christ follower and you step over that line and you're walking in sin and the Holy Spirit does this, like, hey, you're out of line. Uh, What we tend to do is we tend to deflect. (laughs) And we're going to see that she does that in a minute. But I want you to know this morning that for those of you that, that say, man, I just, I don't know. I'm kind of like where this outcast is, where this woman is. I'm just not there. That I want you to hear that God knows you just like God knew her. And he meets us and he meets you where you are. And he meets you in your mess. And he meets you in your confusion. And he meets you in your pride. And he meets you in your sin. And he walks with you. Through his word, through his presence, he wants you to know him. The Bible says that God wants none of us to perish, but all to come to repentance. And I want you to remember this this morning, because some of us can think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. (laughs) That God knows you. That God knows you. And he loves you anyway. (laughs) For this woman... Jesus has shown her that he's no ordinary man. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a rabbi. Uh, I am something totally different, that I know you. And of course, she changes the subject. Look at verse 19. (laughs) Because Jesus just got done saying, hey, go call your husband. And and she's like, I don't have a husband, by the way. I know that. And you've had multiple husbands. And the guy that you're with right now is not your husband. And she's like... Verse 19, she says, uh, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. (laughs) It may not be uh, very obvious, but she's like saying, like, wow, Jesus, uh, you're no ordinary man. I think maybe you're a prophet. Uh, How about we get out of my personal life? (laughs) Let's uh, let's talk about something. Because we've got this debate going on, and, and because you're so smart and you're so godly, maybe you can answer this debate for us. And she says that the Jews worship in Jerusalem in the temple, and then we Samaritans who were kind of, they were, they were believers who believed in, a, they were people who believed in the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. They believe in the Pentateuch, and they take pagan beliefs, and they kind of mix them together, and they would say that we must worship on this mountain. But you Jews say that you worship in the temple, and there's this big debate, and this is kind of the, one of the dividing lines between Jews and Samaritans. We must worship in the temple, now we must worship on the mountain. And she's like, okay, okay, Jesus, uh, now that we're getting out of my life, uh, where do you think we should worship? And Jesus addresses it, he talks to her about true worship, where we're headed today, and the process, her heart begins to change. 
And you see that as you work through this passage because you see that there's a change that happens within her, that he solves the debate, but in the process, her heart begins to be transformed. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And she says in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And look what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I know that the Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming, and Jesus says, it's me. And there are times where people say, well, you know, Jesus never said. No, Jesus said. We've seen it already. But he says it right here that it's me. And so she leaves her water jar there and she goes back to the town to these people that have, have basically said that she's an outcast and maybe for good reason. But she goes back and she says, you need to come meet this guy who told me all about my life. Hey, could this be the Messiah? And I think it was more of like, I know that he is. I, I've experienced that he is, but because you might not listen to what I'm saying, I'm going to say it in such a way like, oh, maybe this is the guy. And you keep reading and you find that they go and then Jesus ends up spending time with them and hearts are changed. But I want to focus on worship this morning because we are all worshipers, and we are wired for worship, and sometimes, maybe many times, we end up worshiping the creation and not the creator. In ancient cultures, and this is kind of tied into this conversation, uh, these, these locations were holy, that they, they would base the holiness of the place based on the location. And so uh, for the Jews, they would believe, and we would see in Scripture, that God's presence would rest on the temple. God's presence would be in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant, and that that place was holy because God was there. And so certain places were more holy than others based on God's presence being there or not being there. That God's spirit dwelling with the Israelites is what made them a holy nation. That it wasn't because they were such good people. It was because God's presence was with them, walking with them, leading them, guiding them. And they were a holy nation. And this is important because Jesus tells her that soon it won't matter. <laughs> It won't matter. The debate will be over. It won't matter if we worship on this mountain or we worship in the temple. It won't matter. Because God's Spirit will no longer be localized, will no longer be contained by location. It won't be like, we're going to go to the temple because that's where God is. That's where God's presence is dwelling. But there's going to come a day, he's telling her. And we've seen at Pentecost, if you look at the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our lives. And no matter if you're a man or a woman, Jew or Gentile, old or young, that, that the Holy Spirit can take up residence in our lives, that when we come into a relationship with God, when we are forgiven in Christ, that we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying there's going to come a day to her when these are gonna, this is going to happen and it's no longer going to be we're going to go to this location because it's holy, but God will be with us and in us. 
When we're born again by faith, we, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Paul says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, God dwelling in the, temp- in the tent, in the temple, in the tabernacle, in Jesus, and then ultimately in us. That when you and I are born again, that we become, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that we don't come to this place because this is God's house. God does not dwell here. We grew up saying that though, right? Don't run in God's house. This is God's house. I think what we mean by that, and we may even say that at times, that, this is, that what happens here is a special thing because the people of God, the little temples of God, come together to worship God. And so that what happens in this place is a holy thing. That we don't come together just to worship and we don't come together just to sing songs and like, hey, we did our thing for Sunday, but we come together as the people of God in this place and that's what makes us special. We don't have to come to this building to worship. Uh, should you come here? I'm going to tell you, you should. <laughs> but not for any self-serving reason. It's because we need each other. That we are the body. And as we come together, in a very real sense, this place becomes a holy place because God has made us holy by faith in Christ. Do you understand the difference? That God is not localized to this place that we're going to go to his house and we're going to hang out with him and then we're going to leave. The real reality for many of us that we need to understand is by faith in Christ that we have the Holy Spirit and that we take Christ with us to the places that we go. That we take the temple to the people. And that's not a prideful thing. That's not a a pretty big deal thing. That's a very humbling thing because then you think about the things that you do, the places that you go, the conversations that you have, the things that you allow into the temple. If you truly are following Jesus, that should be a pretty sobering line of thought. Because what are you doing to the temple? What are you doing? What are you uh, taking Jesus into? And what Jesus is saying to her in verse 23, that the time is coming and is now even here, and he's basically telling her, look, the Spirit of God, uh, that the Holy Spirit is indwelling in Him, and it, the, the temple is not, the place to worship is not on the mountain, the place to worship is not in the temple, that in this moment, at this well, this is a holy place. Remember for us, in a very real sense, and this should be sobering as well, there's a couple sobering moments this morning. But for us, we may be the only Bible that people in our spheres of influence will ever read. We may be the only Jesus. Now, God is powerful, and God can do whatever God wants to do, so don't hear this. But hear what I'm saying, the heart of what I'm saying, is that we may be the only representative of Jesus that they ever see. And we've been harping on this. We did it on 9 o'clock this, this morning, and we're on a podcast talking about this. But think about your interactions on social media right now. Think about your interactions and the conversations that you have with people. Is it representative of Jesus? You know, I think about our lives, and I would say, shame on us, who would say that we follow Jesus, to be the reason why people don't want to follow Jesus. 
May we make the gospel attractive and not that God needs our help, but there's often what we can do is hinder the gospel by the things that we do and say. If that's what it means to follow Jesus, I don't want to follow Jesus. If that's what it means to be a Christ follower, I'm good. Because what we have done, in a very real sense, is we've made following Jesus be about judgment, be about hatred, be about things that really are not in line with Christ, but we do it in the name of Christ, and shame on us. And I say that in a very, hopefully it's a sobering thing to think about, yeah, maybe I won't post that on, on Facebook today. Maybe in my conversation, maybe it will be more about love than it will be about this. Maybe it won't be about winning the argument in the hopes that maybe I'll win the brother. So all that being said, we are wired for worship that all of us worship someone, we worship something, And Jesus tells us, and this is important, that true worship is all about your heart. It's not where you offer your sacrifices. It's not where you sing your songs. It's not where you do these things. It's your heart when you do them. I gave $5,000 to the church, but I don't care. (laughs) God, I gave you the last dollar, knowing that you will provide all my needs, and I trust you, and I worship you with that. That God is looking for those of us who are worshiping from our hearts. Because it's not about the songs that we sing. I appreciate the songs that we sing. I will say this. It's important that the words that we sing reflect the truth of the Scripture. (laughs) And that's been, that's an ongoing battle because there's some songs like, that's a really good, but it doesn't say anything. (laughs) I get it. And Larry has such an easy job when it comes to picking out music, (laughs) tongue in cheek. But we try to be sensitive to that. Like, what are we saying? What are we communicating? But in a higher level sense, it's not about the songs that we sing, whether they're modern or they're 500 years old, that I can worship the Lord. That it's not about the money that I give. It's not about the notes that I take. It's about my heart. The true worship comes from our heart. That God is concerned about my heart. Look at the Old Testament in the book of Amos. I want you to take these words in. God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. That even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of the fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That God doesn't receive our worship when it's done out of duty. When it's like, okay, I'm here, I'm singing songs, I don't like these songs, these are not the right word, Doesn't it's too fast, it's too slow. I've said before, and it's the truth, I mean, it's not scripturally the truth, but it's, okay, it's kind of the truth, that when Satan fell from heaven, he fell into the choir loft. I mean, that's a joke, but that's, it's so divisive in the church that they're, ah, oh, we're not singing the songs the way I want, the kind of song. Who cares? <laughs> Worship the Lord. 
If that's your heart, check your heart. We don't do things, check your heart. Maybe God's trying to teach you something. Maybe God's trying to teach us something. That's not to call you out and say, well, I like a certain, I'm not talking about style and all that stuff. It's really just about your heart. But you know what it feels like, don't you, when, um, when you're with somebody and you know that they have to be with you? Whether it's a relationship or maybe you ask somebody to come help you and they're like, sure, but you realize in the moment they do not want to be there and they're like, you can tell. And they would rather be anywhere else and you would rather them be anywhere else. And I think sometimes that's how we offer our worship to God. Out of a sense of duty, like, ah, I'm going to do this today. I think the Lord would say, I don't, I don't, I don't need you to sing songs. I, I don't need your money. <laughs> and he doesn't need our money. I just want you. I just want your heart. Because worship is about the heart. It's not about whether you raise your hands or don't raise your hands or you clap or you're on beat. Like we're, we're horrible clappers. <laughs> I've, I've, I've embraced that and it's okay. <laughs> but the whether we clap or we don't clap is not a reflection of whether we're worshiping or not. Whether we raise our hands is not a reflection of whether we're worshiping or not. That I can raise my hands all... I used to... We used, remember Promise Keepers? I just noticed, and because if you've been around Northampton for any length of time, you knew, you know that we're not hand raisers at all, like even going way, way back. You know that. <laughs> Amen, brother. Uh, so I was always very sensitive that we would, I would leave this context and we would go to Promise Keepers. And if you know Promise Keepers, all these men getting together and singing, like just, it was powerful. But I would watch people during the worship time and they would go to the bathroom, they would come back down the stairs, step in their, their seat, and they're like, <laughs> Like, I'm not being cynical, but I'm thinking, like, yeah, like, is it, am I just, is this just what I do at this right time? Or, and it's not to call out people, like, you, you should raise, the Bible talks about raising our hands and, 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 and worshiping and, and shouting and being quiet and, and everywhere in between and being on our faces that, that really it's important to understand it's about our hearts. And I think sometimes we look down on people that maybe don't do worship the way that, as far as singing goes, the way we think they should do it. And I'm so much more spiritual than them. <laughs> That's already a problem, right? But true worship pours out of a heart that loves God. King David. If you don't know who David is, you might know who David and Bathsheba are. <laughs> you might have at least heard that story. But David sees Bathsheba and he's like, yeah. And they get together and... You know what I'm going where. And then he ends up uh, having an affair, having her husband killed, and then his sin is pointed out to him. And what you see, the difference between King Saul and King David, is you can see a heart of contriteness with King David. And he writes this psalm, Psalm 51, pouring out his heart. But he says this, and I want you to see this. Maybe you be reminded of these, because he gets to the end of what he's saying after, God, please forgive me, kind of pouring out and he says this for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it or I would give it you will not be pleased with burnt offering you're not pleased with these outward things I mean I can do these things and God can be pleased in my singing and God can be pleased in my serving and God can be pleased in these things but it's not about the things it's about my heart 
Because what David says is the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. The worship is about our hearts. And I would encourage you and I would challenge you if you're going through the motions in worship and not just singing, like in your life, because our lives are, we're worshipers. That if you're going through the motions that you would, that you would sober up a little bit and say, God, this is not what I want to be about. Some of you need to confess some sin. <laughs> and the beautiful thing is that 1 John 1, 9 tells us that God is faithful and God is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that God doesn't stand there waiting like, okay, yeah, yeah, you messed up big time. But I often go back to the loving father whose prodigal son is on his way home and he runs to meet him and he picks him up in his arms and he says, my son has come home. Worship can be expressed in any way, in any place. And this is important to see that worship is not about the position of your body, it's about the posture of your heart. So whether you're here in worship and we're standing and you want to sit, there's often, I don't stand. It's not because I'm like, I'm not going to listen to you, Larry. <laughs> But often God drives me to a place of, okay, God, I'm getting ready to speak, and this is a big, like, what I'm doing right now is a big deal. And I don't take this lightly. God, if there's anything in me that I need to get dealt with, I'm going to deal with it right now. And sometimes it's just sitting there and just, I'll tell you, and I've said this before, but just being in a place where people are just singing out and just, like, I don't have to sing, but just being in that, that environment where we're all singing together, just, it does something in my soul that leads me to worship whether I'm, like, I'm not a big singer. But it's not about the position of your body, it's about the posture of your heart. It's not about being the best singer. It's not about being the best hand raiser. It's not about the best anything that has to do with the outward parts of you, but everything about your heart. We mentioned Romans 12 earlier. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We lay down all that we are as an act of worship to the Lord. That when we walk in obedience, when we walk in surrender, we're really walking in worship. That worship is not just what we do when we sing songs, but worship is, is saying, okay, God, your word says it. By your power, help me to walk in this. God, help me to have the right attitude. Help me to live the way that you want me to live. Help me to say the things you want me to say. And in doing so, I really, really project a heart of worship to the Lord. And so, to worship in spirit and in truth, let me hopefully shed some light on this. Because Jesus says that the true worship is not where you worship, it's, it's really about who you are in your heart. Then the next thing that we see here is that true worship is with our spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That we become true worshipers in a real relationship with God. That when I trust in Jesus as my Savior, as I, as I uh, put my faith in what He has done, the finished work on the cross, that, that I am forgiven, that my sin is forgiven, that I am a child of the King, and that, that the Holy Spirit has been given to me, and that I walk in the power of the Spirit 
to do the things that God has called me to do. The, the reality for all of us is that if we're going to live this life of following Jesus, we can't do it in our own power. As we said this morning, it's not about trying harder, it's about surrendering more. And I go back to that all the time. It's not about trying hard. Tomorrow I'm going to do better. Tomorrow I'm going to try. Today I'm going to, today, uh, today I'm, any sentence that starts with I'm is a problem. God, if I am going to be anything like you want me to be, it's because I've said, okay, you have my mouth, you have my heart, you have my mind. And that's that point where you get on the altar and say, God, it's all for you. And then we kind of do one of these things in the moment and we kind of step back off the altar, whether we realize it or not, and, and we step out of what God wants for us. But worshiping in spirit is engaging our whole heart. It's really engaging our emotions. I don't know for you, but for me, even in this context, this is just because it's just been different, is that I think sometimes we have downplayed our feelings and downplayed our emotions, and, and I understand this is kind of weird ground for some of you, uh, but our feelings are fickle, and I get all of that, but, but understanding my soul and who I am, that I worship God, that I, I don't have to be like, sing a song and I can't have emotion. <laughs> We're emotional people. We have feelings. We have emotion. We, that's, it's who we are. And that we worship God out of that. But it's not one-sided. We're going to talk about this because what tends to happen is that people will worship out of that side only. You think of, of coming together and singing and there's this buildup. And even the music, if we're not careful, can, can kind of lend itself to, to crescendoing. And then we get, we get you know, goosebumps. And we're like, oh, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's all right. But may not, may, and it very much, like, it may be. But what we tend to do is we, we work to that emotional high and worship, and like, I finally met with God. But if we're not worshiping in truth, if there isn't balance, we can get in trouble. And we're going to talk about that. But worshiping with our spirit, worshiping in spirit, is really my heart responding to what God has done, who He is. It's okay to, to feel like, God, i just just so overwhelmed with who you are. God, my heart is just so full. I think sometimes we've been, we've been told, maybe indirectly, to kind of repress that. Like, it's not about your feelings. But that's who I am. And it's not trying to work ourselves up into a frenzy. But understand that, that worshiping God involves our emotions. Worshiping God could involve clapping hands, but worshiping God could also be falling on our faces. It could be shouting. It could be being loud, but it could also be being very quiet. It could be shedding tears of joy or tears of just contritement of just, God, I am such a wretch. We all worship someone or something May it be the God of the universe. May it be the creator who created you and knows you and loves you. But that we worship God in spirit, in our spirit, in our emotion, in who we are, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we also worship with our minds, empowered by the Word of God. That we worship God in truth. And it's important that we understand that it's a both. 
that we worship God out of the overflow of who he is and what he has done, that I, I look at his word, and, and you've done this. You've read this. You've read over something. You've read through Psalm 139, and, and David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where, if I go to the highest of highs, if I go to the lowest of lows, if I go as far as the east is from the west, I can't escape you. God, just thank you <laughs> for your presence in my life. I'm just overwhelmed by the truth of your word. I worship him as I discover more and more about who he is and what he has done. And I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the word of God in my life, as I walk in obedience. That what God says I should do, and I do that thing, that really it's an act of worship. God, you say this, I'm going to do it by your power. God, work that out in me. And as my life reflects a heart that wants to love the Lord, a heart that wants to, to do what God says, it's an act of worship because the battle is I could do it for myself. I could say, God, I know that you say this, but I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to please myself. But as God's Spirit empowers us and we do the thing that God called us to do, it's really an act of worship to the Lord. My love for God is expressed in my obedience. Jesus says in John 14 that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say. The very fact that you're doing what I say is the, is the very fact that you love me. And so my love for God is expressed in my obedience, and my obedience is an act of worship. Should I say that again? That my love for God is expressed in my obedience... And my obedience is an act of worship. Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, does that cover pretty much everything in our lives? Whether you say it or you do it, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him that all that you do would be pointed at him. That I worship God out of the truth of who he is. Not all frenzied up, and so you understand, you see the balance there. That there is a part of me, this emotional peace, this, this feeling peace, this peace that must be tempered with the truth of God's word. And so Jesus said, true worshipers have put these things together, that I worship God in spirit, and I also worship God in truth together. My worship is fueled by the truth, <laughs> not my truth. If you want to, to kind of like rub me the wrong way, just say that phrase, my truth. I'm like, you know, stop. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I just don't like that phrase. It's my truth. Well, what about the truth? Not who I think God is, but who God actually is. Let me just, I'm going to read some things to you. And I just want you to take this in. And God may be speaking to you specifically about one of these things, one of these attributes of who God is or what God has done uh, that may be a reason that even in this moment you just stop and say, God, I am so thankful for that. But just listen of who God is. That God is love. The Holy One. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God Almighty, creator of the world, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, unchangeable, full of power, 
mighty to save, our maker, supplier of our needs through Jesus, giver of peace, the way, the truth, the life, the prince of peace, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the lamb of God, wonderful counselor, the same yesterday, today, forever. And that's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg of of who God is. And you look at that from the truth of God's word and say, God, today I'm so thankful that you're all powerful, that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that all the chaos that's going on in my life right now, I know that you are in charge and you have allowed it and you're going to use it. I trust you. I worship you. That is such a hard place to be. Because we want to have control and say, God, if you just let me have the reins for just a second. Or we, have, we believe the lie that we do have control. And then God begins to show us that we don't have control. And then we get in a panic. God, you are in charge. And nothing that happens in my life doesn't first filter through your hands. And you're going to use it for my good. And you're going to use it for your glory. I may not be super excited about this in this moment, but you're going to use it. And that's who God is and what God has done. Just listen to these. I know we're getting to be the end, but God, what God has done is he created you for good works. He sustains you. He strengthens you. He called you, calls you his own. He fights for you. He empowers you. He commissions you. He indwells within you. He has rescued you in Jesus. He has forgiven you in Jesus. He has loved you in Jesus. He has redeemed you in Jesus. He has healed you in Jesus. He has delivered you in Jesus. Those are reasons that we can worship God in truth. God, thank you for delivering me from my sin, to bringing me from death to life, that I can worship you, that I can be excited, that I can have emotion about the fact that I was once dead, but now I'm alive in Christ. Thank you. The truth of who God is and what he has done when faced with that reality should drive us to our knees, should drive us to our face. God, you are so good. We are wired for our worship, that we all worship someone or something. We are to worship God in spirit, with who we are, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're to worship God in truth, the Word of God, and what God's Word says. It's so important that we keep those things together. I want you to see John Piper has this quote, and this, I think, will bring clarity if it's not been clear enough. The truth without emotion, produces dead orthodoxy in a church full of artificial admirers. Truth, 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 no spirit, truth, truth, truth. Yes, we should worship, and we will worship now. (laughs) On the other hand, emotion, without truth, produces empty frenzy and cultivates a shallow people who refuse the, I think it's discipline, discipline of rigorous thought. Does that make sense? (laughs) But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. 
That if I'm going to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, it's not because I've I got the Holy Spirit goosebumps, so I'm worshiping. But God, you are so good. You're so forgiving. Thank you for Jesus and delivering me from that, that life that, thank you. Warren Wiersbe said this, that strong affections for God rooted in truth are the, well, that's not Warren Wiersbe, that's still the rest of this quote. That strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of, of biblical worship. That makes sense. Let me give you the Warren Wiersbe one. We need to be done. True worship is balanced and involves the mind, the emotions, and the will. It must be intelligent. It must reach deep within and be motivated by love. And it must lead to the obedient actions that glorify God. It's both. Coming together. And it may be that we, we raise our hands. It may be that we don't raise our hands. It may be that we fall on our faces. It may be that we sing out so... There's some songs that I just, just belt out and I don't care who's around. Because it's not about me singing the best. It's about me expressing a heart of worship to the Lord. And so, if I can encourage you today that you would focus on worship, that it is God alone who we worship. Not the person you see in the mirror, although that's easy to fall into. Not anything else, but God alone. And that our heart of worship is from a spirit of all that I am, all my emotion, all the, every part of me, but coupled with the truth of what God says. And that we would truly worship him out of those things, and they can happen in this place. They can also happen driving down the road. It could also happen in your backyard or in your bedroom or wherever you're at that we would be worshipers, true worshipers, who worship in spirit and worship in truth. And we can do that together in this place or wherever we are.